This episode of Field to Fork was produced as part of the Seattle Good Business Network's Good Food Economy Program and supported by Eat Local First, home of the Washington Food and Farm Finder, Washington's source for local food. Find local farms, seafood, and more at eatlocalfirst.org. This is the Field to Fork podcast, where we take you on a deep dive into the local food economy of the Puget Sound region. From farming operations to fine dining and everywhere in between, going to the source to find out how food comes to be and gets to you, direct from the people making it happen. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. I'm excited to be back after a somewhat longer than expected hiatus, but I have big news for this new season that will make the wait totally worth it. This season, I'm thrilled to be welcoming Seattle-based chef, author, culinary instructor, and all-around awesome person, Becky Selengut, as my Field to Fork co-host. And what better place to start than getting to know Becky herself? Take a listen to our introductory interview, where we find out how Becky got into cooking and culinary education, why the Pacific Northwest is like her dream come true, and how she fared in the first ever and very revealing Field to Fork Hot Takes Challenge. Thank you, Becky, for being on Field to Fork. I'm so excited to be here, Keith. What first drew you to food besides the need to eat? Ooh. Often like to tell a story about when I was seven years old and I would watch cooking shows over and over again. I was child of the 70s and was raised by wolves. <laughs> and I would go into the kitchen with no supervision and just start cooking. And while my dad was at work, I would make things in the kitchen and they were probably terrible. <laughs> so what drew me to food was honestly not having someone really cooking in the home. So mm-hmm. I took it on and then I put it by the wayside. Grew up in a ambitious Jewish family where there were only two potential career choices for me, which was doctor or lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I was on the path to be a doctor. You dabbled in that, I right? I dabbled in doctoring. Well, that Doctorism. sounds terrible. <laughs> no one wants a doctor dabbler. <laughs> but I was on the path for med school and then was cooking these lavish dinner parties and constantly cooking and obsessing about recipes and decided, you know, what the hell? I could be a doctor who cooks great meals. Mm-hmm. I can do both. So I'll go to culinary school. And you went to the Seattle Culinary Academy, is that right? And so long ago that it was called Seattle Central Community College's Culinary Arts Program. Oh, okay. They got all savvy. When we first met, you were teaching classes at the Pantry, which is a great community kitchen in Ballard. I can't remember what that class was, but I have a feeling maybe it was something to do with seafood. That seems (laughs) wildly not like me. But yes, of course, something about seafood or mushrooms Mm -hmm. or something like that. And my husband, Corey Anton, first met you before that in a cooking class at PCC. And you were also a professor at the Culinary Nutrition Department at Bastyr University. So what draws you to culinary education and how does it inform your own cooking? I think I'm... I'm more of a teacher than I am anything else. I get the most pleasure out of watching people's aha moments. Mm. That just gives me so much joy because for me, the best kind of day is a day I've learned something new. Mm. And so I get a lot of, I don't know, just passion about seeing what happens when people can go home and say, today I learned something. And that makes me excited. And then to be able to share a meal with people and nurture people through food 
and also give them their aha moment of that day. Mm -hmm. And also I get aha moments from the people in my classes. So it's both. It's like a relationship you enter when you're a teacher that you have to be open to being educated as well. And I think that makes you a better teacher ultimately. Did that path emerge at the Seattle Culinary Academy at that point where you think you knew I'd, I would actually love to teach the stuff that I'm learning someday? No, it absolutely did not. I envisioned maybe, I don't know, perhaps opening a restaurant, perhaps being a private chef. I had no idea. And I started working in fine dining. And at the restaurant I was at, which was the herb farm, Jerry Tronfeld, who was my mentor at the time, he was sick and couldn't teach a class at PCC. And he's like, you're going to go do that. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. I can't. They want you. They don't want me. Yeah. And they're like, he's, they want the herb farm stuff. So mm. go teach it. And I credit him with getting my foot in the door with opening up the world of what teaching about food and cooking. And it's so much more than just teaching about food, though. Sure. Yeah. I think. Yeah. The interaction and the sort of yeah. learning on the job, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And just, cre you know, when, when you teach a cooking class, you're really just creating experience for people. Mm -hmm. um, I just cooked a dinner party for someone's 50th birthday. They had hired me to cook for his 40th birthday. And 10 years later, I'm cooking <laughs> his 50th. I'm like, we'll see you in 10 years. We'll do your 60th. It's just, it's a relationship yeah. and it's conviviality. Right. Right. And yeah. hospitality, which, what hospitality is supposed to be. Making those connections. I definitely felt in that first class that we took with you, like, oh, this is a cool person that I want to get to know. Oh, same. <laughs> I don't normally go home with my students. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of creating culinary experiences, you have created several cookbooks, including Good Fish, which was focused on sustainable seafood. That was in 2011. Yeah, and then again in 2018, I think, a, came out. A revised, revised. and re-released. And then a Shroom, Mind-Bendingly Good Recipes for Cultivated and Wild Mushrooms. What's the creative process like in creating a cookbook? It starts with, honestly, what I feel like is not quite out there in the marketplace. I see a need, and then I usually start teaching classes. So for all my books, actually, I've taught classes for years on that topic, knowing that it seems like it's a an unexplored area because that gets me excited because I'm like, oh, I don't know enough about this. Mm. I'm going to go and be a complete nerd and just read everything and watch everything, learn everything I can. And then it found out that it's not just me. A lot of people don't know about this. So research is a huge yeah. part of it. Do you have go-to sources? Is it like you alone in the library <laughs> stacks with your Harry Potter wand or something? Or how does that work? Well, I don't want to I don't want you to think I don't have that because that's an amazing <laughs> image right there. So, yes, it's what you described. Okay, great. <laughs> and you have a new cookbook coming out this year, and that is about misunderstood vegetables, right? Yeah, and that was, uh, again, from the pantry. They had taught that class, mm -hmm. and I took it over because I was like, oh, what's a misunderstood vegetable? I think I understand vegetables. And then I realized, oh, no, there's a lot of vegetables I don't understand, and I'm a professional chef. I really love the title, and I loved... When I would teach the class, everybody would say, would they walk in and say, what is a misunderstood vegetable? And I would turn it back on them. What do you think is a misunderstood vegetable for you? And then we would get similar kinds of answers. Uh -huh. And it really depended on someone's cultural upbringing, honestly. Right. So someone from Mexico wouldn't say tomatillo, but someone from Idaho would say tomatillo. Sure. So it was also neat to mm. go around the room and find people of all different backgrounds and find out what was misunderstood to them. Hmm. Now, certain things kept coming up. Eggplant came up for a lot of people. Yeah. It's understood as an emoji, but as a That's vegetable. Right. That's right. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to put that in the book. I'm in it right now. I'm going back in. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to ask this question because you might turn it back on me. But what is the most misunderstood vegetable in your opinion? Well, Keith, for me, I have to answer it based on my cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. I am a, a white Jewish woman from New Jersey in the United States of America. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what are you, Keith? <laughs> I'm all sorts of things. So what from my cultural background and my heritage, beets are very well understood. Being Jewish from Eastern Europe originally, mm. I understand beets. I understand potatoes. I understand all that. No problem. But for me growing up, okra. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? <laughs> Question mark. Why? <laughs> why would you eat this hairy, slimy, in my opinion, not worth the flavor. Yeah. And then I learned so much about it and the beautiful cultural history of black Southerners and its migration from Africa and the harsh and hard realities of how okra came into this country. Mm -hmm. And so the history and then the ultimate way to learn about the food and its connection to people and how to bring out the deliciousness. And now okra is one of my favorite vegetables. Wow. Context is everything and history for sure. And the opportunity to dive into something and learn and confront your fears. Yeah, and then talk to people. Like I love yeah. talking to people and I right. love building bridges with people from different backgrounds by mm-hmm. talking about food and finding out why it's exciting to them and what makes it so meaningful. Are there any misunderstood vegetables that are actually not misunderstood? They're just jerks. Oh, Wow. What a great question. What is the jerk of the vegetable world? I used to have a list of vegetables I called bullshit vegetables because I just thought that they were pretty without bringing any flavor or they were popular because they were hard to find. Mm. And I still have that list in the back of my head and I'm sure I'll get hate mail, but fiddlehead ferns. I know that they're uh, a big deal out here in the Pacific right. Northwest. But I found to, one. I've, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> if you're really hungry, perfect. You know, you can eat that. But yeah. to me, they're not worth the labor. The mm. flavor doesn't follow through. They're beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to all Japanese folks that love enoki mushrooms. But to me, mm. I find them to be the dental floss of the mushroom world <laughs> because they're, they have this little ET head yeah. and a little spermy string. Mm-hmm. They're pretty. Right. But I don't feel them contributing very much flavor. Yeah. I do like enoki mushrooms, but fiddlehead ferns, you can have them. Yeah, you can have them. And also there's, this is obscure, but uh, uh, red vein sorrel, which you see in a lot of restaurants oh, as wow. a garnish. And it is pretty, but it tastes like nothing. Yeah. It does have, it has no flavor. And I, I kind of feel like in food... Pretty needs to be backed by flavor. Yeah. I think we actually have some of that in a pot in our backyard. And someone recently said, oh, you can eat that. You can yeah. add it to salads. Yeah. And then I tried it. And I was like, why, why would I do that? Right. So give me something that's pretty and tastes good. And that's how I find all my dates. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a married woman, aren't you? I am. I uh-huh. was just joking. Yeah. April. Uh-huh. Tell me about your lovely wife, April. April and I met because we bonded over hospitality mm-hmm. and instantly hit it off based on that. Mm-hmm. And we've walked the path of me being a chef and her moving her way up the restaurant business in the front of the house. So mm-hmm. she eventually became wine director, sommelier, wine director, mm-hmm. uh, general manager. And 
she's actually in a transitionary phase right now where she's going into social work. So she's really changing her life around a lot. And, that's awesome. Um, and I'm earning the big bucks writing cookbooks because you know that that's <laughs> how you make big dollars yeah, in this world. Yeah, get it. Cash that check. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the Pacific Northwest where we live and are currently broadcasting or podcasting from. What do you love about cooking, eating, and living in the Pacific Northwest? I'm going to bring you back. Okay. To a day in October of 1997. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're coming from the East Coast. You you don't yet live in Seattle. And your friend takes you on a walk in the Madrona neighborhood of Seattle. And she points you out to the left. And the left, you see the Cascade Mountains. And then she points to the right. And you see the Olympic Mountains. And then she has you pick uh, Asian pear off of a tree on a street. And then two blocks later... She's like, there's a fig tree. Let's pick some figs. Mm. I think it was in late September. And I was coming from Washington, D.C., where you would be completely out of your mind bonkers <laughs> to think about eating anything off of the street. Yeah. Right. And then we went, got on a ferry. We went to the islands and we ate wild salmon. And the amount of verdant, like luxury of ingredients available to us in the Pacific Northwest because of our moist, temperate climate. It astounds people when you come here for the first time, if you're not native. Yeah. And I was blown away. And I was like, I have to move here. Did you know that was on tap when you came out no. for a visit? It was sort of like, dun, dun, no. dun. I mean, I knew it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I knew there were mountains. Mm -hmm. I knew there was water. But I had no idea you could eat fruit off the street. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is incredible. I'm like, is yeah. anyone going to get mad at us? Are we going to get arrested? <laughs> oh, no, there's more than there's more than enough. And yeah. I was like, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. I love that. Is there a particular Pacific Northwest ingredient or style of cooking that you particularly love or relate to? As you know, Keith, there's been a huge influx of Vietnamese in the 70s that came to Seattle. And mm -hmm. we have a really great Vietnamese cuisine mixed with Pacific Northwest, I think, here in Seattle. And so I really love kind of having some Asian elements mix in with mm. it, the ingredients that we use here. And I consider that kind of a little bit my style. Um, but I also was heavily influenced by my time with Jerry Tronfield at the herb farm. So using what is local and regional to our environment and bringing out its best and cooking very seasonally, mi micro seasonal. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll use an ingredient for just two weeks and then move on. And I'm okay with that. Like yeah. I don't, I don't want to eat asparagus in the dead of winter <laughs> it's not right it's just not right i mean it's right for you for the person if they if that works for them but i like going to the store i like going to pcc yeah met market any place i go and i like seeing what is new the farmer's markets mm -hmm. just buying going to farms seeing what they're excited about like mm -hmm. that week yeah and there is one often local ingredient that you have to avoid, unfortunately. Oh yeah, it's really sad. You're <laughs> going to you're going to go there. You're going to make me talk about that. We can always cut this out, but yes. No, I'm just. <laughs> so I am maybe the only chef, possibly the only chef that I've ever heard of that's developed an allergy to garlic. Wow. It was my 40th birthday present. It was not a good birthday present. And so this, it really came on later in life? It really did. My dad also developed a shellfish allergies uh -huh. when he turned 40. Mm -hmm. And so the three kids, we were all wondering which one of us is going to be the one to inherit yeah. this thing. And of course, it was me. And yeah. I actually feel grateful for it, honestly, even though I'm someone who loves to travel and be at the open arm to anyone who wants to cook for me. I can no longer just eat right. anything that I want. And I'm, my choices are quite limited. Yeah. 
but I feel grateful because I feel like I have really become a better, more generous chef to other people who have allergies. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I really was before. I think I was one of those chefs who was like, really? Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, we're going to take this seriously. And we're not just going to leave the allergen off the plate. We're going to give them an incredible experience and we're going to make them feel really safe. It can really do some major damage to you if you have any, right? Yep. I got my EpiPen right here. Wow. And I feel like garlic as an ingredient is something that people can lean on too heavily often in cooking. It's a cool thing to have in your toolbox, but knowing that you're always going to be working around that and finding up new ways to develop different unique flavors. Yeah. And I really, soon after I figured out the allergy, I really tried to come up with ways to mask that there was no garlic. Mm. And now I I feel like garlic has its place absolutely 100% is a very important ingredient the yeah. world over. But I feel like it, like you said, it can be a bully. It can take over recipes. Yeah. And I want the food to taste of itself. I don't want it to be bullied by garlic. That's very yeah. kind of you. <laughs> well, I also, I also <laughs> sometimes do add garlic in at the end and I'll have my co-chef or people working for me taste the food since I can't taste it. And black garlic, you don't have a problem with that. I don't. And it's because it's been cooked at low heat for weeks Mm -hmm. and the protein that I'm allergic to has been completely denatured. Gotcha. So I found certain garlic type garlic-esque. It's very (laughs) different though, as you know, black garlic has a really different flavor profile, but I, I do feel like for me, it gives me a little bit of the joy of garlic back again. Yeah. My husband made some in our garage and it was a six month <laughs> process. So I know quite a bit about black garlic. I'm glad it was in your garage because yeah. people sometimes will try to make it in their home and yeah. it's, oh, you'll never get that smell yeah, out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the garage still, it still smells good. It's like, oh, who ordered pizza every time you pull in? <laughs> if you weren't in the Pacific Northwest living, working and cooking, like where would you love to be? Well, I love this question because I'm, I wish I could give you one answer, but mm-hmm. my wife and I love to travel when we can. We're mm-hmm. lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to travel. Um, one year we wanted to travel uh, six different places for two months each. Wow. And I still want to do that someday mm-hmm. if I can ever afford to do it. But I would say it'd be a choice for the countries I've, I know about and I've been before between Mexico, Thailand, and Japan. Nice. I think for me, those are the three that I, of the countries I've been to best eating destinations yeah. that I have been to. Japan. Wow. Wow. I want to just go there and eat and... And just die. <laughs> I want to eat and then have someone just lay me to rest yeah. in a pile of nigiri. <laughs> when you have friends come to town here in Seattle, where do you tell them to go eat? I actually like not telling them necessarily. I'll give them the restaurant list, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone wants a restaurant list. Yes. But I actually like telling them more about experiences. Mm-hmm. Go to Wajamaya or Pike Place Market. Pick up an already cooked, clean Dungeness crab. Mm. Get some local craft beers. Buy a newspaper. Go to the top of Queen Anne. What's a newspaper? I know, right? It's that papery thing with <laughs> ink on it. Find a free newspaper, <laughs> if those exist even yeah. anymore. And go to the top of Queen Anne and the viewpoint looking over the city mm-hmm. and put a blanket out, spread out some newspaper and just crack crab and yeah. have a beer. If you want to feel like you're in Seattle, Mm -hmm. you can go to a restaurant. Of course you can. But you're going to be just getting messy with crab and having a beer and looking at the view and seeing the people coming and going. I think it's Cary Park. And it's just great. So I love telling people to do stuff like that. Get some chowder down at Pike Place Market and get on a ferry. Mm -hmm. I would 
actually love to see more people eating crab in our public parks. I think that'd be so cool. <laughs> I want to just ride my bike and see like, oh, there's a whole family uh -huh. with their bushel of crab. Right. And look, they have a, there should be more public crab public, eating. Public crab eating. Yeah. It's a little intimidating for people. I grew up eating, cooking, eating Dungeness crab like almost every night of yeah. my summer times up in Birch Bay, Washington. Um, so I love it. We should start a public crab eating movement. We should. And also one time I used to write for a couple of food magazines and I was writing about squid jigging and I mm -hmm. went squid jigging off a pier in West Seattle and um, I wasn't catching anything, but all of the Filipino, Vietnamese, Cambodian neighbors of mine on left and right were catching one after the other and they uh -huh. finally felt sorry for me. So Aww. they started giving me their squid and i was like no i don't want your squid but i had prepared and i brought a butane burner uh -huh. and all the ingredients for a curry oh. and when they gave me the squid i said i'll only take it if you eat the food i oh make and God. so on the pier we just had we all had curry together that's awesome and it was like now those are the experiences that someone coming to seattle yeah i want them to get that kind of experience that's i want that experience too I'm, i might have to take up squid jigging just yeah. on only on the days that you're making curries yeah which sounds like a weird dance but it's actually <laughs> it is a dance let's be honest <laughs> so experiences I'm, I'm with you there are there any hidden gems around the seattle area that you think people should know about you know including local people i'm gonna have to push back on you a little bit mm -hmm. it's hidden gem mm -hmm. is no longer hidden yeah. if I tell you about it. That's why people will tune into this podcast <laughs> to find out this these valuable nuggets of wisdom. I know, but if I tell everybody my hidden gem, it's yeah. like telling them my mushroom spot. Okay, here, I'll give you one hidden gem. Don't tell me your mushroom spot. I'm not going to tell you my mushroom <laughs> spot because this is a program for right. children yeah. too. So a hidden gem that I will give you because it's so out there that I don't think, you know, hordes of people will descend upon it mm -hmm. is Billiard Huang. Okay, it's in Columbia City, uh -huh. MLK, Hillman City area. Yeah. It's a dive pool, Vietnamese pool joint, uh -huh. right? With a hidden Vietnamese restaurant in it. Oh, I so, think I've been there. Okay, this place is like, you would just drive on, yeah. right on by. Yeah. yeah, It has great, great pho, great spring rolls, really nice people working there. Very and can, nice. And you can play pool and have a cheap beer for $3.50 for a beer, uh -huh. play your pool, and eat your food. That The woman that is always working there is the nicest. The she, nicest when, person. When you call in, yeah. she's like, okay, honey. Yep. The place is great. It's a gem. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably definitely, it's not hidden to Vietnamese folks. Right. But it's certainly hidden to, to us whiteies. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually eaten there or played pool there. I'm terrible at pool. Wait, but what did you do there? We got Bon Mi and took them oh, to okay. the lake. And, oh, okay. and had so like you did. Oh, you had yeah. an experience. Yeah, we had, you had an, an experience. experience. Yeah. There was no crab, though. No. No lake crab. So You don't want to eat lake crab. <laughs> yeah, probably not. So speaking of lakes and bodies of waters, uh, bodies <laughs> of waters... <laughs> So Today, kids, is how to use plural. <laughs> uh, speaking of lakes and other bodies of water, you have been cooking on the open sea on a boat lately. Tell me a little bit about this gig that you've got going on. What is the closed sea now that we're just talking about it? Is it um, the closed sea? Well, there would, I mean, maybe like, like a bay, right? the Mediterranean. It's a closed, closed sea. But they never say closed sea, but I like open yeah. sea. Okay, anyway. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, for the last two years... Um, 
I have transitioned a little bit from teaching, although I still do teaching mm. for the company I work for, on this beautiful, old, beautiful lady of a boat, originally owned by the Barrymores, believe it or not, Hollywood Barrymores, John Barrymore, oh, and wow. then passed down to several different people, eventually to Foss Maritime, which is a big deal in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and then to its parent company. And I get to cook meals aboard the Thea Foss, and it's a private boat, so it's unfortunately only for private groups related to the company. But I get to go all over Lake Washington, Lake Union, and then this summer we're going up to Alaska. So, That's so great. To Juneau. And is there a sort of a season for this? or uh, It's most it? of the year. We're only off season in the depths of winter. So mm-hmm. January through April, we're uh, not on the boat. Okay. And I would imagine that there must be some major space limitations when you're cooking in a ship's galley. What are some of the other obstacles or considerations that you've had to take into account when cooking on the boat? I'm actually really lucky. I've cooked on a boat before where we did have incredible space limitations. But on this particular boat, um, my galley is actually bigger than some commercial restaurants I've worked in. No way. It, for, and considering the size, there's only wow. two of us in it. Uh-huh. And so relatively to the people to space ratio, mm-hmm. we're golden. Wow. So I feel really comfortable. That's great. Yeah. So I'm very lucky because that's not the case for many galleys. So that's not an obstacle. What okay. is the obstacle is, for example, cooking in Alaska, where in a lot of ways, they're a produce desert up there. It's getting better, but we'll have access to seafood, but fresh vegetables will be much harder. What else is hard is that you're living on top of each other. Yeah. I have no problem with cuddling up into a small bunk at night, (laughs) but you are living with your colleagues. So I want everyone listening to this, just think Mm -hmm. about living 24-7 with your workmates. Oh, man. What that must be like. Mm-hmm. So That's a lot. I'll just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> How many crew are there on this boat? Five to seven, depending on what we're doing. And you're basically, though, working with just one other person yes. in the galley. Yeah. I have a co-chef that I handpicked because uh-huh. I knew we would be working right. so closely together yeah. and bumping butts in the kitchen. And yeah. Did you do a quick audit of their Spotify playlists or anything to make sure that no, you were musically compatible? No, luckily, <laughs> she often defers to me with music choices, and I love playing music. What else do you do for fun? I play guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, 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 I love to, music. I got to experience a little of your, yeah. your strumming stylings the other night. Yeah, uh, I love playing guitar. I'm, I'm <clears throat> um, firmly a, uh advanced beginner. Mm-hmm. I feel like I always will be. Um, but I, I still enjoy playing and my wife sings. So, uh, I play, she sings, which is really fun. So cute. And then we both love music. So we listen to a lot of music and, um, I just bought my first record player since yeah. I was a child. And so I'm welcome back. Thank you. I'm obsessing <laughs> about finding gems mm-hmm. and really listening to music again. Awesome. Well, speaking of fun, are you ready to have some? Yes. Good. Okay. This is a new thing that I just came up with that I think will be fun for us to do with guests in future episodes. It is kind of. Oh my God, I love (laughs) Yeah. I'm currently calling it Field to Fork Hot Takes. Oh, yeah. And it's a game where everyone wins. There's no wrong answer. Oh, forget it. I'm out. I'm I'm super competitive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to hit you with a bunch of of things and you choose the one, your favorite or the one that resonates with you or whatever. I mean, it's kind of like favorites. Okay. Are you ready to play? Okay. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to sit up more upright in my chair. Yeah. I'm going to do a little bit of a a stretch. Take a breath. Release. Yoga. Okay. (laughs) Crack my neck. Okay. All right. Go. Salt or pepper? Salt. Oil or vinegar? What happens if I can't decide? That's an impossible choice. You have to choose one. 
rig. <laughs> okay, it's I, the first one was so easy. Yeah, surprise. You need both, man. But what if you had to choose one? Oil. Okay, any particular kind of oil you can specify if you want. Well, olive oil. Okay, duh. great. Duh. Uh, sweet or savory? <laughs> And this is so personal, isn't it? <laughs> it's a fun way to get to know you. Sweet. Okay. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Mustard or ketchup? Mustard. Ketchup or tartar? Ketchup. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Sugar or cream? Sugar. Whiskey or wine? Whiskey. I didn't even have to listen yeah. to their second one. Bourbon or scotch? Bourbon. Uh-huh. Uh, strawberries or blueberries? Blueberries. Raspberries or raspberries. blackberries? Okay. Um, favorite fruit. Dick's Deluxe or Ivers Two-Piece Cod? Dick's. Uh, <laughs> if you're not sure, always pick Dick's. Yeah, that's what I do. Metro- <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and I didn't pick fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that one out. Metropolitan Market or PCC? Well, I used to work for PCC for okay. 15 years, right. so PCC. Yeah, all right. Brandy Carlisle or Dolly Parton? Oh, come on. Why are you giving me these impossible choices, Brandy Carlisle? Really? <sighs> That's awesome. I thought, I mean, Brandy Carlisle would probably be upset with me for asking you this question because Dolly Parton, you know, who wants to go against her? Nobody wants to go against right. Dolly Parton. And yeah. But here's the thing. Brandy Carlisle is so influenced by Dolly Parton that picking Brandy Carlisle, Mm -hmm. you're also picking Dolly Parton. And that's why. (laughs) That is an excellent answer. Thank you. Did you try that Dolly Parton cake that came out, the cake mix? No. Yeah, it was like in a, I think it was a Duncan Hines product. It was like a banana cake mix. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that there was a Dolly Parton cake mix. Yeah, it's real banana. I imagine it more confetti looking, very (laughs) sparkly. The box is pink. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Apples or oranges? Oranges. Applets or cotlets? Applets. Can you tell me no, what? No, I don't know okay. what the difference is. I just knew <laughs> that I couldn't say both. And I, <laughs> I was really hoping you I could no finally idea. explain it to I me. I think it's like apricot is uh-huh. cotlets oh, and applets yeah. is apple. That makes, so, it's so easy. It was right there in front of us the whole time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm riffing right now. I don't know if that's true, but that would make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, egg rolls or fresh rolls? Fresh rolls. Ponsit or pad thai? Pad thai. Thin noodle or wide? Wide. Uh-huh. Uh, sandwich or burrito? Sandwich. Bok choy or broccoli? Broccoli. I love this. Good. Even though you said that there's no losers and winners, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm winning cause if I can say it fast enough. <laughs> so I felt like I really lost. There is this competitive, yeah. you know, Like you, I feel like there's a buzzer here, yeah. like an do, invisible buzzer. Do, do, do. What was the one that I really, oh, oil and vinegar was yeah. the hardest yeah, one. Yeah, you really struggled I failed. with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually feel like the desert island question when someone asks you like what five ingredients you take the desert island and I actually feel like I want to weep. Oh, yeah. Even though my life is not yeah. that and I don't need to decide. But That's if someone point. said, sorry, you can't take acidity mm-hmm. to your island, mm-hmm. I would cry. Well, maybe there's lemons that grow on the island or something. But uh. I feel like if you're really, truly playing the game, you mm-hmm. assume that there's no acidity on the island. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That island sucks. Yep. A shrimp or crab? Crab. Lake or ocean? That's going to be super hard. I grew up on a lake. Uh-huh. I work on the ocean. Yeah. Probably ocean. Whidbey or Vashon? Whidbey. Both islands to those who aren't from this area. I spend a lot of time on Whidbey. I love it. Yeah? Yep. Fishing or foraging? God damn you. <laughs> That's personal. <laughs> We get real here on Field to Fork. Okay. In the spirit 
of the Brandy Carlisle Dolly Parton uh-huh. answer. I'm going to say foraging because you can also forage for shellfish and seaweed. That is true. That so is so. We're very... going to go with foraging because you didn't specify. I didn't. How you got me? I got you. <laughs> got you on a technicality. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Ooh, why would this one stump me? <laughs> Definitely not lunch because I often accidentally skip it. My, I'm going to say breakfast only because my wife is so amazing to me mm-hmm. that she brings me breakfast in bed Aww. maybe four days of the week. Wow. That's amazing. I know. That's so sweet. I mean, I do a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Guys. I That's, let's just, I'm just giving <laughs> right. you one side of the story. But that is her thing. She brings me coffee and she makes me breakfast. Nice. So what does she usually make you? She will go back and forth depending on what I want, but it's usually either oatmeal and all the fixings mm-hmm. or the perfect egg sandwich. Nice. Yum. Sometimes special occasions, I get pancakes and bacon. Ooh, I love special occasions yeah. that involve pancakes. <laughs> yeah, me too. So like birthdays uh-huh. or <clears throat> if she, we got in a fight or uh-huh. <laughs> whatever, if she's trying to really yeah. suck up. That, does a funfetti ever make its way into your fun Funfetti? No. <laughs> I like your idea of a pancake. I was just on my brain because of the Dolly Parton Does thing. Dolly Parton ever make her way into your bedroom? Actually, I have a framed Dolly Parton photo in my office autographed that I won at an auction thing. It just awesome. broke, though. So now she's like flat on her back. Oh, that's uh, rude. Yeah, so I'll fix Dolly real soon. Unless there was consent involved. Yeah, yeah, she's in good shape. Uh, last one, winter, spring, summer, or fall? I would say spring. All you got to do is, is call. call. Uh, spring, what do you love about spring more than the other seasons? The smell mm-hmm. of the soil. You can smell the soil coming alive. The just chartreuse profusions of life and herbs and also it's like hope the winter's over and you got through it yeah and it's like you have all the seasons of abundance in front of you yeah so i love spring looks like we made it (laughs) well i was so much fun i'm actually sad it's over oh can you uh, ask me like one on the fly without uh, having prepared oh chunky or smooth smooth yeah super chunk for me super chunk you're into chunk yeah chunk yeah, that's the way. Can I ask you one? Uh-huh. Chunky Monkey or mm. Cherry Garcia? Uh, Chunky Monkey. I love mm. banana. Do you? Banana thing. I don't oh, that's why you like lot. the Dolly Parton thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Banana cake. Yeah. All right, then. Exactly. Okay, coffee or chocolate ice cream? Coffee. Yeah. Oh, you hesitated, yeah. which gave me some joy. I don't love chocolate flavored yeah. things. I like dark chocolate. Yeah. And most chocolate flavored things, I think, are like weak. Um, unless it's just like real good chocolate, you Mm -hmm. know, like I go straight to the source, but chocolate flavored things usually are a bummer to me. Tequila or mezcal? Uh, Tequila. Okay. I haven't stumped you yet. (laughs) Oil or vinegar? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Answer. Oil or vinegar? Uh, oil. Yeah. Oh. Because you got to fry things. You got to cook things. That's then that's what I. Yeah. That's what I fell back on. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for turning the tables on me. Thanks for <laughs> joining me at the field to fork table. I'm really excited about this new season and having you as a co-host whenever you're available, not off on your boat or foraging for mushrooms or what have you. All of your Pacific Northwest food adventures. You're a very busy woman and I love that but I'm really excited to share you know who you are and all that you know and your enthusiasm and your great sense of humor with all of our adoring audiences I'm looking forward to working with you and also to all the people we're going to meet can't wait to talk to them here they come here they come (laughs) thanks so much bye 
I'm really looking forward to continuing this podcast with Becky. And if you've made it this far, I hope you're excited too. And if you're not, move on, man. Get a life. That's it for this episode of Field to Fork. If you like what you heard, make sure you don't miss a moment. Hit that follow button on your podcast player app. And while you're there, you could also leave us a great review. I know you've got it in you. And why stop there? Take a second to share our show with your friends and family because they need to hear this, don't you think? Last but certainly not least, if you have story ideas for Becky and I to explore together in future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a DM on Instagram and Facebook, where our handle on both platforms is at Field to Fork Podcast. Might as well go ahead and follow our socials there too, right? I thought you might want to do that. Field to Fork is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith.